Gagne here, welcoming you to edition number 35 of Joe vs. World. Today is the fourth and final edition of our year in review shows, focusing on Ring of Honor. My guests today know a thing or two about Ring of Honor, as well as being on this show. Making his fifth appearance, it's Matt Feuerstein, and making his third appearance, uh, Death Valley Driver's Rob Naylor. Gentlemen, how you doing? Hi, doing good. Okay. All right. Now, uh, this was a big weekend for Ring of Honor. We had the Friday show in Connecticut and the the final battle show uh, Saturday in Manhattan, although I guess they were both final battle. But I was uh, not at the Hartford show for several reasons. First of all, um, I wasn't all that jazzed about the card. Uh, I'm sure it was fine. It, it would have been nice seeing Shima live, but um, we all knew the main event, so to speak, was the next night in Manhattan. Also, I hate going to Hartford, so I passed on this. The only real big news coming out of this show were uh, Matt Seidel, Christopher Daniels successfully defended the tag belts against Shima and Shingo, and Larry Sweeney debuted and cost the Briscoe Brothers a match against the Kings of Wrestling. Yeah, that was the uh, one uh, moment reading the review, you know, the results live, where I actually got excited about the, about them. Yeah. Anything else to say about uh, Hartford, or shall we move right on to Manhattan? Yeah, it seemed like a throwaway deal. I mean, I, I guess they set stuff up with Briscoes and Sweeney and uh, Kings of Wrestling, which went on to the next night. And uh, I don't know, it just did seem kind of like a throwaway show. I'm a lot happier I went to the show I went to than that one. But Yeah. Yeah, and it was hard to get a read on really how good the matches were, because it seemed like 90% of the comments after the show were about how awful the crowd was. Which yeah, be, yeah, I guess that's that's basically... Sorry, by the way, if my, my, my uh, voice sounds horrible, but um, my voice is shot from Saturday to begin with. But uh, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of the crowds suck. Like, the reason I like New York City's ROH shows, and to a degree Chicago's ROH shows, is just because people are so much more into it. Philadelphia was back for CCW feud, but, like, that November show was just brutal. It just seems like... And, you know, ROH didn't help matters because there was a lot of stalling in a lot of the matches. It seemed like there was stalling in four matches in a row. Now, you take that and contrast that with Saturday. And, like, Saturday, they were just whizzing through stuff. And just a lot more fast-paced show, which, to me, that's the kind of wrestling I like. So that's one of the reasons I liked it so much. Yeah, and, um, like, I was actually getting to the point where I was worried because just if you watch the DVDs and if you've gone to any shows between between Glory by Honor weekend in September... And uh, I guess the Chicago shows a couple of weekends ago, it seemed like like a good 80% of the shows had really dead crowds. And if you read the live reports, there's lots of complaining about assholes in the crowd, uh, annoying comments. And I was getting to the point where I was I was starting to worry that that ROH is kind of losing it. And then I guess Saturday night, you know, reaffirmed my faith and then some. Yes, yeah, Saturday definitely. Uh... They kicked it out there. I mean, I have not even seen many of the shows after Glory by Honor weekend, believe it or not, but. Uh... I really thought Saturday just really kick-started my interest back in the promotion again. They just had a lot of things that, like the angles, I mean, the whole show, part of the reasons a lot of people say, oh, well, all the matches were good, but I think the show beyond matches, it was just a fun show and moved really quick, and they tied up a lot of loose ends, and they also set a lot of stuff up for the future, which is what they needed to do, I thought. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm sorry I'm not letting Joe speak at all, but, uh, yeah, it was, I think, like, fun is really the, uh, the operative word there, because... I thought, like, the, the big difference to me between uh, the September show, which was, you know, one, one of the best shows they ever had, maybe the best show they ever had, like, like and, and Saturday show is, you know, September show is like this, uh, you know, epic, serious, like, you know, these yeah. two classic world title matches and the, the whole, like, like pseudo-Japanese atmosphere, and it was, it was awesome. But then, like, Saturday show was just this big party, like, like from the beginning. Like, yeah. I knew immediately that it was going to be a really hot night when Santa Claus came out. And For real, I'm with you on that one. I loved it. Like, yeah, it was Derek Devsey like, as Santa Claus, who we all see and have to sit through all the time, <laughs> to get his ass kicked, and, like, chair-shotted to hell from the Briscoes. And then they said that, I guess it was Mitch Franklin, who's about taller than me by, like, one inch, so he's, like, literally a midget, and he just got sent up into the freaking lights. And that, that was just so decent. That's a, a little small touch that they need to do more of stuff like that. Yeah, and then the, uh, the call-and-response, man-up chant. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, you don't get those crowds anywhere else. Yeah, people were into the characters. A lot of people say you know, Ring of Honor doesn't have good character development, but you could tell, like, from the opening match even, and a lot of people didn't like the opening match, believe it or not, but me and the people I was with thought it was probably one of the better four-corner survivals just due to the fact that all the characters, aside from maybe Davey, were really over. Like, people just were drawn to Generico, 
and people obviously now take to disliking Rave. And then Daniel's for all his faults. He's at least super over on all the shows. And Alice in Danger looked absolutely freaking phenomenal. So, you know, yeah, she yeah, had the people did. going for Daniel's anyway. And, uh, you know, it just, everything clicked. It was one of those four-corner survivals like Samoa Joe and Delirious and Jack Evans and uh, Abison had that one time where you had enough fun stuff going around that it didn't seem like it was just pointless. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I, I can't think of a four-corner match from the past year that was that, was that good. I, I thought, like, I can't, even, I can't even imagine somebody not, like, like, I mean, obviously not everybody has the same taste in matches, but, like, yeah. some, at least, like, just being in the live crowd and not having a good time watching that with everybody going nuts for everything and Generico being super entertaining and being over. I don't know. That, like, that was, like, that, that really set the tone, I thought, for just, like, the, the atmosphere of the show. Yeah, so far with these New York shows, they really have started them off perfectly. I mean, last time you had Jack Evans and Davey, which was fun because Jack Evans went flippy and crazy and everyone loved that, and then he actually got, you know, his ass kicked by Davey Richards. And that really got everyone pumped the first time around. And then they, oh, then they, after that, they had the Bruno thing with Morishima and Joe. So it immediately just had everyone really into the show. This time around, a little bit different. They had this little angle first with Santa Claus getting his ass kicked, and then they, you know, went into the four corner thing, which worked out splendidly. And you know, then uh, it's funny because then the next match is always Adam Pierce bringing it down. But I guess that's the point. So no, but you know, like even on this show, like even Adam Pierce really didn't bring it down that much. Like he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. Like, that, that segment, like, I thought it was like, okay, here comes the killing the crowd part. And, you know, they were really sort of okay with it. They got into the whole Repo Man thing. And oh, my gosh, yeah. Smoke saves the day calling uh, Adam Pierce a quote-unquote fake-ass Repo Man. So then the fans just got on him the whole time, and it, it was not bad. I'm not a big fan of Ricky Reyes anymore. I think he's yeah. kind of very non-charismatic and just doesn't connect. But it was fine. It was good for what it was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Joe, anything uh, you'd like to say? Oh, sorry, I dozed off there for a second, but um, I, I was curious where both of you were sitting in the uh, Manhattan Center. You can go first. All right, uh, I was uh, in the in the balcony. I was section 10, I think it was 101, but I'm not positive, uh, third row. Uh, and I had, it was like, the the only negative about the seats was that I was on, like, I was on the side of the, the entranceway, so I couldn't really see it. Like, I had to lean over if I wanted to see any of the entranceway. But I thought it was a great view, and I, I thought it was, it was a great atmosphere, and um, it was comfortable up there. You actually had leg room. And I don't know. I highly recommend those seats as long as you don't sit behind one of the lights. Hmm. I was in Section 103, row B. So it's like the second row, balcony. And it was decent, I got to say. But, like front row balcony that I had last time which is like pretty much facing like where they have the GA seats that's like the best seat you could possibly have I was lucky enough to get that again for next show so oh, good. but uh, second row balcony wasn't bad especially since like say you have people in third row balcony like if you stand up they'll just stand up too so there's real no harm done no fights breaking out so it was decent that's good uh, tell me some more about this card we had uh, the Brent Albright Jimmy Jacobs team against uh Cole Cabana and B.J. Whitmer. Oh, I'd love to start this one off. Okay, first of all, if anyone has not got the October 28th Ring of Honor show, make sure you get it, because it's one of those shows, I don't even know what the name start naming them, I don't even know what the damn name is, but it's one of them that was in Chicago, where I guess Dragon wrestled Joe, it was, and it to was me that Hulk match, Hulk. yeah, yeah, that match isn't even the, the draw, you got to get it for Sal Renaro and Jimmy Rave against Jimmy Jacobs and Colt. And not for that match, but for the angle that happened afterwards, which, for whatever reason, I never even heard about. But I guess that's when they did the big split with Lacey getting, you know, shoved away by Colt Cabana, and then basically Colt trying to get Jimmy to, you know, say, see you later to Lacey. But I'm just like, this goes like seven minutes. You'd think it's too much, but when you watch it, it really just unfolded perfectly. And for dead crowds, you know, this crowd was actually really actively into, you know, the characters and... It ends up, but of course, Jimmy, you know, falling prey to Lacey's charms and crouching Colt in the, in the ropes. And then I guess they took, he took her high heel and cut him open and stuff. But it was just really awesome. And I didn't even know what happened until after the show when I watched the DVD. So, like, during the show, I didn't even realize that Jimmy, I knew Jimmy and Colt had had their problems later, but I didn't know he was so full-blown, you know, bad guy. So it hurt the heat. On my, in my opinion, it hurt the heat for that match a lot. So, well, I actually, um, I actually just watched the angle that you were talking about uh, last night before I went to bed, and yeah, it was it was really good. I, um, 
like I really like what they're doing with the whole Lacey thing. Like it started out kind of as a you know mid card comedy thing, and mm-hmm. they really kind of made Jacobs with it, and it gives a perfect uh, you know a perfect place for Albright on the card. And I agree. Like I think that when I saw that angle, it, this is gonna be crazy for me to say, but I think it might be my favorite angle, non CZW ROH angle, ROH you know that they did all year, just because it was so effective. Like it, you really feel for Jimmy, but at the same time, you know. You want you want him to listen to Cold Cabana, but then of course he doesn't. And Lacey comes out to be you know the bitch every time around, so it, it works out. You know, Lacey will probably get hers somehow, or maybe she won't. And that'll be even more of a draw. Like you know, you know, have it go for like a year or so, and then finally somebody you know finally gets Lacey. You know, and uh, I don't know. It just it. I like Albright as the Mike Awesome type guy too. But the match in New York City, I thought it was going to steal the show. It didn't quite do that, but it had a really good finish. So, I didn't yeah, mind yeah. It. It, um, I, I just just one more thing about the Jacobs angle. Like, if you um, if you see the uh, the most recent uh, Jersey show, which isn't out on DVD yet, I thought that um, that match with uh, Jacobs and Whitmer actually got over as good as anything on the show. And they um, like Jacobs really like showed a whole like new dimension to his character, pulling out the spike and just like just brutalizing Whitmer with it. Yeah, yeah. And then I think after that one, they had the spike again, and that was the time where I guess BJ went to hit Jimmy with it. He hit Lacey by accident, which took her out of this past weekend. And that's probably another reason, by the way, that the match was not possibly as over as much as it should have been, since Lacey is kind of the the person stirring the pot in the whole thing. Having her not have to show probably affected the way some people would have reacted. Right, and. Um... Yeah, I thought like I thought like even though like the I'd say the first I don't I don't remember how long the match went, but I'd say the first maybe like thirty percent, fifty percent of the match, there was a segment of the crowd that was like kind of taken away from it, chanting change the channel and then like the rest yeah, of the crowd would yeah, all say, shut the shut the F up. But, um, <laughs> but then, hey, I yeah. don't know I, I don't know what the deal was with that. I you always have that any kind of crowd, you know what I mean? There's no such thing as a perfect wrestling crowd as far as I can see unless you're in like the mid eighties or something, but you know, I, I heard that too, and I was like, "All right, whatever." And they were pretty much heckling a lot of the show, but it wasn't—it was like a, a pretty much a minority of people. It wasn't. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't was like, the majority by far. It looked like from the, from where I was sitting, it looked like it was like seven or eight people. But oh, they okay, were, they really, that was the only time it really bothered me. But fortunately, it was, this was one of the rare shows where I wasn't actually sitting near anyone annoying. Oh, but, there you go. That works. But uh, but I did, like the last like five six minutes of the match, it, it actually got pretty pretty darn good. Yeah, I really liked uh, Albright. Just was a beast in the last, you know, half a minute, so to speak, and he just destroyed them. And I thought, like him, basically pulling the big pose after you know laying waste to Whitmer and then destroying Cabana and then Jimmy getting the pin. You know, it it sets stuff up for the future. So I think it's a good spot for him, definitely. Yeah, and I, I thought a really cool spot in the match um, got a lot of oohs and ahs was. Uh, Jacobs hit the uh, hit the contra code on Cabana, and then I think it was like even before his legs like hit the ground, he wrapped him around uh, Whitmer's head and did a spinning head scissor. Yeah, he he rolls backwards and hits Whitmer with a carousel head scissors right after he hits the contra code. Which someone also said though, the thing I don't like about that is that's kind of like a good guy move. You know what I mean? Like it did get a pop too, but yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it was a cool spot. I can't even deny it. But it was kind of weird seeing him do that, and it made. <laughs> Made Colt Whitmer look like you know bad guys for half a second because there was no way that wasn't going to get cheered. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Joe, uh, I think you should get comfortable because we're going to go about that long for every single match. Hey, I'm enjoying this immensely. So, yeah, there was uh, there was a lot to talk about. That's for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll move on to the Briscoes and the Kings of Wrestling and what we thought was Claudio's last match, but perhaps not the case. So why don't you elaborate on this match, someone? Uh, I'll uh, I'll start. I'd say, uh, well, first of all, let me just uh, quickly run down the angle beforehand where uh, Hero comes out and, um, well, the, both both guys come out and Hero introduces everybody to uh, Larry Sweeney, who uh, who immediately gets over and does his little dance. And uh, he uh, he calls him his new agent and said that he was able to score him his own, uh, his own dressing room. So um, that got some good heat there. And then, I really like that, by the way, to interrupt real quick. Like, the fact that they actually made sense of him coming out through the dressing room for the first time. Right. I kind of wondered about that. I'm like, dude, what happened? What happened to the angle, you know? But then he actually comes out, says Sweeney set him up with his own private dressing room, which makes all all the sense, you know what I mean? So I, I like the way they did that, definitely. Okay, you can go on now. All right. Um, I'd say, uh, like, this match I w- is probably the definition of a show stealer because it wasn't even announced beforehand, and then they had... 
Probably. I mean, uh, it's close, but probably I would say the best match on the show. I mean, there are three awesome matches on the show, but, like, they, I, oh, my God, they tore it up. They, um, like, the first spot of the match was uh, Jay doing a dive, like, over the t- over the ring post uh, on into the aisleway onto the onto Hero and, Cla- and Claudio. And then from there it was, like, just nonstop. I'd say this is, like, I don't know. It's it's either this one or uh, the Briscoes and Aries versus Aries and Strong from England, which is like probably the best like big moves kind of tag team match that I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. And it just it was oh my god, like the place was going insane. Like I had no idea these two teams would click so well. Yeah, I agree. I I think that uh, the way the match was, I described it as not so much like a uh, a midnight versus rock and rolls type bad guys getting heat on the good guys, but it was pretty much, both of them were supposed to be bad guys, but both of them had kind of fans cheering them, because you had the Briscoes destroying Santa, and you had the ever-present Larry Sweeney being a huge favorite, so like, Jay hits the move, he actually steps on the post, and then hits like a plancha into like the fifth row on the hero, like who's in the aisle, basically, so like, then they slowed it down a little bit, and it seemed like fans weren't necessarily sure who to cheer for, and as it went on and on, I, I actually told someone right next to me, I'm like, dude, this is kind of a letdown. Believe it or not, I said this. I said, it seems like no one knows who, who to cheer or who to boo. I said, I don't know if I'm really digging this. My friend's like, dude, you need to shut up. So I, I shut up and kept watching. And then, like, I guess it moved on and on. And then at one point, they just kicked it all out. And when they hit that electric chair Rana into a moonsault thing, I, I had never seen anything quite like that. So immediately got me way into it. Same with the rest of the people, basically. And then they just went on and on, and they went back and forth with a bunch of really cool tag team moves, which, to me, they're the two best tag teams in 2006 as far as stateside goes. So I kind of like the aspect of them both trying to outdo each other with tag team moves. Claudio did that uh, hanging, like, he's, it's like a like carousel-type move where he has both wrestlers, and he's holding them, and he's swinging them around. I've seen, like, Dr. Wagner do it, or, you know, Ray Bucanero down in Mexico. But, like, the fact that he could hold up both Briscoes was pretty impressive, and I guess they went on, and there was some killer finishers, and I know some people that actively disliked the match because they thought they overkilled finishers. It's kind of a valid deal, but to me, that's the kind of stuff I love. I just thought, like, it, the one-upmanship of it all, it just led to, like, the biggest finish possible, which was a shooting star press and a leg drop at the same exact time, which is kind of like an old ode to RVD and Sabu's killer finish, but they even added a step to it, so... Needless to say, I was freaking out. It's probably my favorite tag team match this year. A lot of people won't agree with that, but that's just the kind of stuff I love to watch, and I thought it was awesome. Yeah, as as far as the crowd goes, I thought they were kind of, you know, kind of like not sure what to do in like the first maybe five minutes or so when the Briscoes were on offense. Mm-hmm. But then uh, when uh, when um, the when Kings of Wrestling started getting the heat, like they were they were just so entertaining and just showing off their personality and stuff that I thought it was it got pretty good from there. And then when when yeah the they got behind took, Claudio they got behind yeah. Claudio. You're right. Forgot and about then that. the the exact moment that you mentioned with the um with the you know the um the Rana into the into the splash. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. when just that was when just things came unglued. And after that, like just like standing ovation after standing ovation, and you know like what can you say like the like the you, you know you can criticize like. The, the big moves and the and you know mm-hmm. all the all the false but images. yeah the people were eating it up I agree yeah. I know what and, you're saying and you know like that's just what you're gonna like that's you know not every match obviously and it shouldn't be but that's what you're just gonna get a lot of the time in ROH like yeah I think the fact that there wasn't a good guy or a bad guy I don't want to say oh this allows them to do something like that but you couldn't have your Chikara Hero Double C Tag Team match against like North Star Express or Delirious and uh, Hallow Wicked where, you know, they're getting heat the whole match and they're doing all their fruity double teams one after another and they're, you know, they're cutting the ring in half. I don't think that kind of thing would have worked since you didn't know who was good or bad in this one. So I think they did the right thing, just going all crazy toward the finish. And eh, I like it. I like the one they did the uh, double, you know, they were hitting the forearms back and forth. And I like the way... I hate it when someone hits a forearm, the other guy hits it back, the other one hits it, and they do that for five minutes. I think that's ridiculous. But in this one, you basically had Hero saying, okay, dude, you know, it, it's all me here. He just starts destroying Briscoe in the face with forearms, and Briscoe went down. And You know, I'd rather something like that, so I'm just glad they did that. Yeah, and there was another element to this. was It was that um, this might have been a Hero and Claudio swan song as a tag team, and I think they probably just wanted to show everything they could do. As yeah. far as, like, because they, they've, like, you know, in Ring of Honor, this is the first time they've had a match like this as a tag I agree. Team. It's pretty much just been, like, them healing it up. And, you know, even the match against Aries and Strong in uh, in September, 
was you know a lot slower, didn't have the yep this match had. I, think, I agree. You know, this, like I remember I read Dave Meltzer's review of um, of Glory by Honor, and he was talking about how Hero doesn't wrestle like an ROH wrestler, and you know yeah. Claudio isn't on the level of most of the guys there. Yeah. And, like I, this match proves it. Like you know he could do it anytime he wants. So he was you know they actually choose not to do that so they can stand out and it works. But um, this, yeah, I this think, time I, I thought they picked the exact right time to uh you know to let it all hang out. And I like the finish where you have basically. I guess it was Sweeney messing up or Hero messing up with the briefcase, hitting Claudio, or no, Claudio hitting Hero with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then they take the finish. And then afterwards, you have everyone, you know, supporting Claudio. Claudio says, even though he is going to go, he's not going yet. He's coming back to Ring of Honor. Then you have Sweeney and Hero saying, okay, dude, you know, you were going to go and you're going to leave us hanging, so you know what? We're leaving you hanging. And then they leave. People feel bad for Claudio. Then when Joe's music hit, I was like, oh, no. I was, at first I said to my friend, dude, he's going to come out and they're going to shake hands and it's going to be one of them rah-rah ROH things. Nuh-uh. Joe comes out, tells him, uh-uh, buddy, get out of my ring. You know, I remember what happened, you know, in April or whenever that happened. So I like that. I like how they're not necessarily rushing things as far as that goes. Yep. And, uh, yeah, then that, then that whole segment with, uh, with Joe. Unless, well, before I get into that, maybe Joe wants to say something. I got nothing. Please continue. All right. Tremendous. Um, yeah, so um, we go right into Joe cuts a, you know, cuts a pretty good heartfelt promo about not being there. Challenges. Um, well, first of all, there was a uh, an F Umaga chant, and Joe was like, oh, no, come on, come on, guys. You know, Umaga is a strong Samoan. Like, yeah. He shut everybody up with that. I thought that was amusing. Uh, but, that was um, pretty funny. He just shouted down all these people, uh, Joe. It was hilarious. He's like, look, everybody, you need to shut up now. Put over Umaga. <laughs> everyone shuts up. Everyone pretty much cheers because Joe can say, you know, anything he wants, and they're going to cheer him anyway. And then he just transitions into uh, calling out Noah. Yeah, um, yeah, and he even mentioned uh, Mazawa by name this time. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm skeptical that that's going to happen, but I think it would be pretty interesting. The way I see it, he called out Morishima, Misawa, and Marafuji. And in wrestling, a lot of the times, you don't say names unless it's actually going to happen. But the way I look at things, they called out, uh, I guess they called out Loki recently, and he ain't coming back. So who knows? I'd like to think that all three of those guys will be in this year just because he named them. But, you know, you never know. I'm, I'll be looking forward to seeing if they pull it off, though. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, next up, uh, Nigel came out. Uh in, in defense of Noah, he said he's gonna uh, he's gonna look in you know he's gonna contact the office and try to get some guys in for uh, February 16th in New York. But he said if not, he'll he'll be the one to challenge Joe because they were supposed to wrestle on uh, on Saturday's show. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm assuming that's gonna be the match, which which I'm which I'm fine. It, with. it would be good, but I really hate it if it was because the way they set it up, it's almost disappointing if it is Nigel. And how stupid is that? Since that was the match I wanted to see most on this past show. But still, in my opinion, you don't drop names if you're not going to go ahead and, you know, do them first. But you never know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll do Nigel and Joe, and they'll tear it up and run something from there. Well, the only reason I think that is because everything I've heard says that, uh, that Morishima versus Joe is probably going to happen in the, you know, in the second half of 2007, and that's going to be the big match they built to all year. So, um, yeah, that could happen. Yeah, otherwise, I'd, I'd see that match happening a lot sooner. Maybe Gabe's worried about uh, Joe's health, and he might want to do it all quicker. You never know, so hmm. have to see how that all works out. All right, uh, we hit intermission at this point, and then we had uh, Jimmy Rave and Nigel McGinnis in the post-intermission spot. Uh, tell me about this one. Oh, you can start, Rob. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Rave's come now now to House of the Rising Sun by the Animals, which is just a great visual, and he's just really brooding now, and just really. I mean, he was never Mr. Personality to begin with, but you really get a somewhat, like, you, you think he could snap at any time, and he obviously was very impressive in the opening match, and he they debuted a new hold, which is somewhat of a variation of an ankle lock, and the hold was super over, and this one came right after intermission, which is like a death spot, because no one really cared, and everyone was really winded from cheering so much, and the match really didn't have too much heat until a certain point toward the end of the near falls, and they just went through maybe, I'd say, four minutes worth of some really heated near falls. Nigel just killed the hell out of him with lariats. He hit him with, like, maybe four super, super sick lariats. Every one I thought was the finish. He hit the Tower of London, thought that was the finish. 
Get the Tower of London on the apron, which is where a lot of people said possibly overkill, but still it did get a pop, so maybe not. And then uh, I guess it all came down to uh, Ray was hitting some of his sicker moves on Nigel. Nigel kicked out on one on gonorrhea or whatever he calls it. So he kicked out on one. And then Ray even went back into the old bag of tricks and hit that little uh, spin-around deal into the arm bar, which he used to do way back in the, like the CCW days. Yeah. So he went back to his old tricks. Nigel then gets out of that, and I guess Rave uh, escapes a, a finish and hits the uh, ankle lock. And as soon as he hit it, fans just went insane. And don't tap, don't tap. And then Nigel taps. Rave wins. Nigel's laying in a, in a heap on the, the ground, and Rave is victorious. And I guess they said he's going to go on the face. Whoever's champion, or I guess homicide, next time in New York. But if you're going to do Jimmy Rave against the champion, that was a pretty great way to do it because people were thinking he was for real at the end of the match. At least I thought so. Yeah, uh, yeah Gabe is certainly intent on getting that guy over as the main eventer if you read the results from Chicago and then uh, and then last night, I mean on Saturday night. But, um, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, I like this match a lot and, I you know, I want to give him credit for, uh, you know, getting a dead crowd after intermission, you know, way back into the match. But I really do think that if any match on the show was overkill in terms of the big moves and the near falls, it was this one. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, like, it was, um, and it's hard to, like, I, like, don't get me wrong, don't take this the wrong way, but I, and I really, really, really like Nigel this year. Like, I think I think he's just, I, I'm voting him for him in the Observer Awards as the most improved wrestler of the year. I think he's just become awesome. But I, uh, the past uh, three shows I've been to, this was uh, Saturday night, then the show in Long Island, and the show in New Jersey in November. Now, he really is starting to uh, like do the same thing at the end of every match with all the big lariats and the Towers of London and then having guys kick out every single time. And I think he probably needs to vary that up a little bit because it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, to a degree, though, I mean, it is getting over every time. And yeah. Dragon did the same thing. Like, in my opinion, and we'll get to this later, Dragon's deal where he always does the cattle mutilation finally bit him in the ass because at this show, people just weren't buying the cattle mutilation like they were against Kenta. I think they did too much of that, like drawing it out. Not like not saying the main event wasn't incredible because it was really good, but it just seems like he was going to the well too often. You might be right on Nigel going to the well too often. I think he should not have done the Tower of London on the apron. I thought that was a little mush. And he killed it. He killed him with every Larry he hit. Uh, he might have hit four. I don't even recall. There was the rebound one. There was just a regular one after ducking a clothesline. There was one where he put him up on the ropes and he just tagged him off of that. And, like, he just killed him. So, yeah, there was a little bit much. But still a very good match. But, yes, tad bit of overkill. I didn't really sense that in the Dragon match, but that may be because like, I was sitting right near a guy who shouted, No! every single time uh, Sheamus <laughs> got on some sort of submission. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, pretty much, I pretty much agree. I just think that maybe he should think about uh, changing that. But I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll lead to Yeah, something. he does need a new move or two. You know, he, he, does, he, he relies a lot on the lariats. I guess the old uh, wrestling adage is, you know, go with what you know. So, I mean, that's not too bad an idea, but I would like to see him add a move or two, definitely. Right. All right, then we had the Dragon Gate-style match of Shima, Shingo, and Matt Seidel against uh, Austin Aries, Roderick Strong, and Delirious. And I believe all six of them have worked in Dragon Gate uh, at some point, and uh, this sounds like it was fun. Yeah, it was It was definitely fun. Um you know, I uh, and I wasn't. I for, unfortunately wasn't there live for the uh, for the big uh, Dragon Gate six man tag in uh, Chicago. I think uh, I think Rob, you were right. Yeah, I certainly was. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like, I don't. I don't think this this one was that was on that level. That was like kind of you know a revelatory match for the states. But uh, it, this was still just you know awesome awesome match. Um, you know, I I think um, you know almost everybody was really on on his game, and uh, they. You know, they busted out some new stuff. Uh, one of the big spots was um, Roderick had uh, Matt Seidel up in a position for a power bomb, and uh, Seidel stood up on Roderick's chest upright, and then like kind of flipped over into kind of like a sunset flip, almost like power. Almost bombing. like a Canadian destroyer. It was crazy. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know what happened. Yeah, that was that was. I think that almost. I almost think that might have been a botch because he did that. Oh, I'm sure it was. I think he was supposed to fall down into like what I would guess would have been a DDT, like he's been doing. But he kind of fell backwards, and Roderick was like, he was like, I'll be damned, I'll land it on my head somehow. And I think he grabbed his legs as they were falling down and took a Canadian destroyer. It was just 
freaking nuts. Like, yeah, when, I, when I saw he was kind of like flipping over the back of Ruddick, I was like, oh well, that, like that, that'll uh, that'll hurt hurt the crowd a little bit. That little botch spot. But instead, they just freaked out. Like with like that was like the greatest spot they ever saw. So I was like, oh okay, that worked out. Yeah, that happened a lot of that match. I mean. No matter what happened, people were just really into it. I thought Shingo looked fantastic. He was very basic in everything he did. I liked that. I yeah. thought Seidel had a couple new things that I hadn't seen him do. He had the guy seated in the corner, like on the first buckle, and he basically came from outside the ring inside with like a, uh, a kick, but I can't really explain how, like a double stomp to the face. Right, right. But I can't really explain exactly how he did it, but he had extra leverage going in, or extra, you know, torque going into it as he was flying toward the person. They did your dive sequence. They did uh, they did an awesome deal where, I guess, they did the wheelbarrow lung blower thing with, uh, I guess it would be Shingo and Seema, and then Matt Seidel hit his move off of the dude, like the shooting star press, and that was real good. And uh, this match I forget the most about, believe it or not, probably because they were all just going freaking crazy. Yeah, it was like end. 100 miles an hour. My, uh, yeah. I thought, like, the, probably the coolest part was uh, Roderick's uh, hot tag near the end, or maybe it wasn't even a hot tag, maybe he just came in. But, you know, he was just moving so fast, and he kind of uh, finished it up with the hardest running uh, flying boot to the face on Shingo that I've ever seen in my life. I just I remember I, that. I went like crazy. And then... Uh, they kind of. I, I thought what was cool about this match was that I wasn't really expecting was that they put a lot of focus on Delirious near the end. Yeah, he got. Delirious he was. Got, he was someone that maybe saved it. He was really good. He was just awesome. He might have stole that whole match. To tell you yeah, I think he did. Uh, he acted like the, the big. Uh, the big uh, false finish of the match was when he got the uh, the Cobra stretch on Shingo, and the crowd was just going nuts for the tap until Shima, until Shima broke it up. Yep, he hit his finish on side out too, like that. Uh, I forget, but he all has these great names. Like, he has chemical imbalance, in vitro fertilization. I don't know what the, all the moves are, but that deal where he, like, pulls you up into, like, a, a, a pile driver type thing, and he hit that. And, uh, I don't know. I thought Seema was a bit off. I just think he looked... It looked like he either got hit funny or something else, because him and Aries and Strong had a couple things that weren't, like, blown or anything, but they were a little bit tentative, I thought. So, of course, that'll happen now and then, but... uh the one, the one of them had a save. I guess it might have been when, uh, it might have been when Delirious hit Side Al with that finish, which is a pile driver dropped into a small package. Right, right, and right. Seema just comes leaping across the freaking ring with like a double stomp to the, like the face and chest. Everyone just reacted huge to that too. So yeah, yeah I, it was I, good, definitely. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice Seema being off, but I, there was just so much else to look at that like it was, yeah, it wasn't really something that you could really, you know, point at and say this drug the whole match down. But it definitely, you know, say what you will about it, but it definitely got over like like crazy. Yeah. The, the people the people on that whole entire show just seemed like they wanted a faster-paced show, like for New York City. And I think a lot of Ring of Honor shows in New York City, except for maybe the one that was last held in Manhattan Center, I think they've all been super fast-paced, like from beginning to end. Like Manhattan Mayhem, the reason I like that show a lot, which is because it was really quick-moving. They had a lot of different stuff on it, too, like stylistically, and they had a great angle on that one, too, so that was probably why I really got into that. But, yeah, it was, like we said, fast-moving show, uh, maybe a little bit of overkill with Nigel Rave, but still just a very good match, got Rave over huge. Uh, then the DG match, very good. Notch below, I'd say both the March 30th and the April 1st and the March 31st DG tags, but, you know, no one's complaining, so it's still really good. And uh, I guess that takes us to the uh, the main event. Yeah, I, I would say, well, just one more thing. I would say that the um, the uh, the Dragon Gate match on the show was was awesome, but it was still I would say the third best match on the show. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say my well, my personal favorite, my favorite match on the show is the tag. Second favorite was probably the main event, and then right. the third favorite is uh, I'd say it was the Dragon Gate. All right, main event time. Homicide, Brian Danielson, months and months and months in the making. What happened? All right, I guess I guess I'll start again. Um, like, well, first of all, I, after that after that Dragon Gate match, just because the crowd was so spent from it, I was like, well, you know, like I like these, this is going to have a great atmosphere, but how are these guys going to top this? And um, you know, fortunately, as soon as all the Dragon Gate guys you know left the ring, there was a homicide chant, so I kind of my fears were uh, were laid were laid to waste, but. Um, yeah, it's, uh, unbelievable atmosphere for the entrances and stuff. You know, um, everybody you know screamed along with the fi- it's the final countdown as loud as I've ever heard it. Um, just uh, 
you know, uh, you know, Danielson did a little thing with the uh, ring announcer where he said, uh, the best champion all these thugs have ever seen got big heel heat. Uh, Danielson was as over as a heel, you know, uh, aside from a, you know, dragon chant here and there, he was as over as a heel as I've seen at, uh, at any recent shows. And, uh, yeah, and they, uh, they started off kind of slow doing the, uh, you know, doing the chain wrestling, but, it, you know, it got over fine. It wasn't like, it wasn't like molten or anything, but got over fine. And then, um, after Homicide hit the uh, the three amigos and went up for the frog splash, um, Pierce and Hagador ran, ran in. This was only like like what eight ten minutes into the match, and um, mm-hmm. like that was uh, I don't know like that like I did not ex- I did not see that coming at all. Like I, I I pretty much knew where they were going once it happened, but I was still shocked that they would take that risk. Fortunately, this yeah, I was surprised they were into it as much as they were, dude. I was thinking the same thing you were. I just thought that maybe they'd lose them with. Like, you know, I thought they'd take all the wind out of the sails with that, and then they might not get them back. But lucky for them, it did turn out good. Yeah, this was the exact right crowd to do it in front of, I guess, because, uh, you know, like, not only did they uh, did they get into it with the bullshit chant stuff, but as soon as uh, Sinclair grabbed the mic to restart it, it was, like, an incredible pop, and there was a Sinclair chant. And then from then on in, they were they were totally into the match. Yeah, I had no voice during this match, so <laughs> I couldn't really cheer too much. Like I, I just I was screaming the whole entire show. I just really was into the show, and by the time this match happened, I didn't need to cheer because everyone else was just so freaking loud anyway. And uh, like he said, homicide chance before they even he even came out, or before anyone even came out for the main event. And uh, they uh they really finished up real well. And I still think that maybe they might have tried a little bit too many uh, too many submissions toward the end, but. Then again, the people kind of bought into it, but I thought that the finish was great. The way he hit the okay, he hit the cop killer, I believe, and then or maybe even prior to that, Dragon hit like a small package, or maybe after the cop killer, no, he yeah, had a desperation I, I I, small package. I'm pretty sure what happened was uh, was Homicide hit the cop killer. Uh, Danielson got his hand on the ropes. Ropes, yeah. Then Homicide like huge. Got, yeah, then Homicide got really frustrated and, and took off his shirt and then grabbed the ring bell. Oh, that's, that's even more brilliant because that actually took a lot more time out of everything. I remember this because he yeah. grabbed the ring bell. And, Joe, you might remember this and maybe you too, Matt. Uh, remember when Ultimate Warrior was wrestling, like, Macho Man in the yeah, retirement match? WrestleMania 7. I was thinking the exact <laughs> same thing. Yeah, and he and he just looks at his hands and, and shit, and he's like, oh, I'm a warrior. <laughs> and, like, as soon as he did that, I looked at my friend Russ, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's channeling the warrior. And, like, I thought it was kind of stupid, but now that he says this, as soon as he, he hooks the small package out of nowhere, the the the, the pop for that kick out was just so freaking unbelievable. And it made sense of everything in, in hindsight. So I could see him kind of going back to his his roots and saying, you know what, I'm going to kill him with the bell, but then he doesn't. Then he gets small package, one, two, oh, no. Fans go nuts. He hits the lariat, and then it's just freaking party time from there because the pop from when he won was, in my opinion, up there with uh, when Aries beat Joe in 2004. It was just yeah. it was just nuts. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I was not there for that, and I, I, I can't imagine it being that much like that much louder than... Uh, well, the thing with Joe and Aries was as soon as Aries had kicked Joe flat in the face and hit the brain buster and then went up to the ropes, like the whole time he was climbing the buckles, I think we all we all knew. We just knew he was going to win. So it was from there until he actually got the pin, and then after the match, it was just pretty much a sustained pop and pretty much akin to this one. Although, I'll say this, you were right when you were like saying about how side was pretty much 100% over. It's as over as anyone's going to be, and the hometown obviously had everything to do with that. But uh, Danielson was definitely uh, in no man's land in this one. Yeah, and I have to say, like, even though like this was like you know you can go back five years of the storyline and they did a great job with it, I have to say like that they are really lucky that Homicide was as over as he was on Saturday after kind of uh, stalling him over the past few months because yeah they blew it they blew it with him but the thing was funny too when last time they were in New York City I personally thought Homicide was the least over like it's all the New York shows I've seen Homicide on even when he was a bad guy just because you had Cornette going on and on for like 57 minutes before the match. They came out, hit a big move, and then they just did a regulation tag match. It just really seemed like the people just weren't with Homicide, especially after this summer when everyone was... He was probably the most popular wrestler they've ever had. So they're really lucky. They did. Uh, they caught some of that vibe again, and hopefully they'll just uh, take that into 2007. Yep, and uh, yeah, then the uh, the, uh, the post-match celebration was... Uh, 
you know, it was nuts. The crowd was just going nuts for like, oh, good, 15 minutes after the match. Uh, everybody ran out and hugged Homicide, and they had a big celebration. They, uh, I guess Homicide's new music now is We Fly High by Jim Jones. I don't know if that's <laughs> a one-time thing or if that's going to be his theme for now, because they did have the uh, the little Kill Bill intro before it. So Yeah, it was, it was so. cool. I liked the way they had that little, uh, that little party after the show. It just was decent. Everyone pretty much left really in. With a good vibe, I think, and that's probably the way you should send people home. I was one of the stupid people that actually thought Danielson was going to win. <laughs> I I thought he was going to win, and I thought uh, Side was going to go to TNA full time. I don't know why. I just thought they were going to put the belt on somebody else. Now I see they did the right thing, and at least short term, you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, I I was I was surprised, but. All in all, I thought it was an awesome show. I've said on the internet that it was my favorite show ever, and people gave me some uh, some shit for that. But <laughs> I just know that I was really happy from the start to the finish, and it was just my kind of show. I, I, I enjoyed it. Honestly, I saw that, and, like, there, there are a couple people that were kind of criticizing the show, but, like, really, like, I looked around, like, not that many. Almost everyone who was there, like, really loved it. There was just Yeah, like, it was pretty much universally a, a pretty popular show. But, uh, you know, I have fun debating with people about it, because there's a lot of people that... <laughs> They picked it apart real good, but uh, to me, just being there and being a regular in ROH, I just thought, from what I see normally from them, like Joe knows, last time I was at that Philly show with Kenta Inside Out, which I have since seen from Japanese TV, and it's unfreaking believable and even better than I thought, but uh, since that, that show was horrible. That was like everything I don't want ROH to be, just a lot of slow, slow stalling in like three matches in a row, tag team matches that I thought going in there were going to be awesome with wrestlers I liked, it just ended up not being what they were supposed to be, and, and, and then the main event with Homicide and Carino being the worst thing they could possibly have done. But to me, going from that show live to this being the next show I saw live, I just, I was just so, it was night and day, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, and I'm 100% with you, I think. This was, you know, I'll have to wait until I see the DVD to really say, like, whether it was the best show, like, they've ever done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, like, you know, out of all the live shows I've been to, and I was at, you know, the Kobashi show, I was at the last show in New York, I was at, you know, both of the big Philly uh, CCW versus ROH shows. Mm-hmm. This is the best live show I've ever been to. Like, that crowd, like, this is, like, the one show I've ever seen where, like, literally everything got over huge. Yeah, they get the easiest heat they, they could possibly dream of in New York, and hopefully that'll sustain over the time. But yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think it can because these were these were two big shows that I think like had a lot of fans like you know traveling to see. Yeah. Whereas so like so I don't really know if, like if every show's gonna they can hope to do that. But even if they get just like you know three quarters of that, a half of that. It'll well, be I think I've read. Uh, Sapolsky said that he's gonna try to make this like his MSG, so to speak. Like his he's. From what I can understand, he's basically, I think, booking Ring of Honor around these major New York City shows. Not necessarily making all the other shows also ran shows, but, you know, just really putting an added emphasis on the Big Apple, and for good reason, since it seems like... I mean, they were selling those tickets, those $60 tickets, right? Front row, both like front row floor and front row balcony. I'm pretty sure they sold them all out. I'm lucky I got one, but... uh it's it's just a hot ticket right now for them, and they're riding that momentum. And I'm sure Homicide winning is going to help them. The thing is, do you think they're actually going to let him lose in New York City next time? Like, if he, if he does keep the belt against Hero in January, do they do they actually have balls enough to go into New York and have him lose the belt there? Or no. Uh, it's, uh, you know, like you know, you can, there are there are arguments like pro and con for it, but mm-hmm. I really think that since New York is such a good market for them. Like, I really don't know if they want to risk, you know, like, doing anything to damage the um, loyalty yeah. they have there. Like, uh, you could argue that just, you know, having another title switch there would, you know, make it even a, a bigger deal. But I, I don't know. Like, cause they, yeah, they I certainly so many, wouldn't do it either. Yeah, they have so many big shows coming up. Like, there are plenty of places where they could switch the title. Even if they're doing it, you know, even if they're giving it to Rave, you know, they could, they could you know, build up some goodwill in England if they uh, have the title switch there. Or they could do it on WrestleMania weekend. Yeah. I don't think there's really any need to do it at, uh, in New York. I personally hope Chris Hero, I guess they just announced him on the next show. I hope Hero with Larry Sweeney beats Homicide. Homicide goes on to beat Rave in New York City. Hero goes into New York City as the champion, and the people want to freaking kill him since he beat Homicide. That would be what I'd do, but then again, I'm not running things. I'd also probably book Manny Fernandez, but that ain't going to freaking happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean, who knows, but that, that'd be what I'd do. 
Actually, before we get off this show, because I know that probably Joe, I don't even know if anymore he really wants to anymore, but we were supposed to do some sort of year in review thing. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because um, you, I think, went to a lot of ECW arena shows and right during the heyday. And I want to tell like what like how the atmosphere compared for like these New Yorker shows. I mean, you know, these uh, Manhattan Center shows, and then those this shows. is a good one because, in all honesty, I never was at an actual arena show. That I know it's amazing, but no, I went to shows back as far back as 1994. I was like, I was an idiot because I would go to every show that wasn't in the arena. Like I'd be going to the big show in you know Lebanon, Pennsylvania, <laughs> or Jim Thorpe, or the Jaffa Mosque, and like I would always go to like the <laughs> I would go to the worst shows. Like that's why I got backstage too, because like Paul Lee was never even at the shows. I'd have to talk to the other promoter, and then I'd get to go and do my little radio interviews there, and it was fun. But you know, it was never. I never saw any of the actual dirt that people always claim to happen in ECW arena. Like uh, I'd go to all the spot shows. Like I, I'd go to the shows in Hamburg, PA, when Cactus wrestled Sabu and stuff like that. All my friends went to the shows. They were luckier than me. But no, I never got there. But I do agree with you. I think an ECW arena, they fostered an environment there that the people just ate up everything you gave them. And even stuff like Donnie Allen got over. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say Ricky Reyes is Donnie Allen or anything, but Ricky Reyes was pretty over in New York City. Now, yeah, so I think that... Close as ROH is going to get to that atmosphere in the, uh, in the New Yorker. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that's 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 a, a good statement. And even I even would go a step further. And ECW when they ran in the uh, Hammerstein Ballroom, which is adjacent to this place, they never had better heat than in that place too. That was almost like better than ECW Arena by that stage of the game. So I basically look at Manhattan Center as a uh, a smaller version of Hammerstein and same you know excitable atmospheres. Rob, what was the best match you saw in the uh, in the Jaffa Mosque? Oh my, let me think about this one. I don't know. It was probably two Colt Scorpio against Dean Malenko, managed by Jason, the world's prettiest manager. Whenever he went by there, but yeah, those were some good times. <laughs> then there was always that place that was like a bar on a big hill in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Uh, I forget what they called it. But then they had shows at, like, Pulsations. I mean, they had shows at the stupidest but greatest places you could think of. I once went to a CZW show, believe it or not, in Reading, Pennsylvania. It was, like, Club 1482. It was just like a uh, it was like a wrestling show held in, a, like, a bar, which is which I fully endorse. I think that's great. And I remember ECW used to do bar shows, too, like, back in, like, 93, even. That was, what, that was like, their claim to fame. Well, I, I apologize for exposing your dirty little ECW arena secret. Yeah, I know, right? I, I know. I never went there though. I, I can't. I, I always wanted to, but you know, I followed it. But you know, by the time I got off to college, I wasn't going to take any of my my blessed college weekends and head down to the arena. <laughs> and when I was in high school, I was basically never going to be driven to Philly by anyone I knew, just because. It's like I would go to shows like in Hershey, Hershey, PA, and you know, around my area. Right, right. Not like Philly's like this, you know, real long drive. I go there all the time now. It's sad that I actually go to ECW Arena, but I watch CCW shows in them. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, what can you do? Yep. All right. Well, let me ask this for a little year in review. Was 2006 ROH's best year as a company? Um, I will say, I will say yes by far. And um, like, like honestly, like 2005, like. I, at the end of 2005, just because, you know, there was so much great stuff that year with the, the whole punk angle and Kobashi and the view of Kenta, I was like, you know, they're going to have a tough time popping this year. And now, I don't know, 2005 seems kind of dull compared to just, like, I mean, 06, like, they, the, the one big negative I thought was that they had too many shows and so that mm. near the end of the year, they were kind of, there was kind of a dead period in October and November. But just, like, the peaks were unbelievable and there were so many of them and there was just so much to talk about and so many shows that were in the running for best show and best show ever in the in the, in the history of the company. So I would say yes, best year ever. I would go with probably yes, just because I thought it started real slow. Like, I'll be honest, I thought January, February, March, early March at least, were a little rough. But then once they kicked off the Milestone series in late March into WrestleMania, I was lucky enough to be at those two shows in Chicago, and then from there, they went back to Philly in April. They had the CZW thing kicking. 
CDW feud really helped them this year. And then uh, from there, you know, they hit it up in the fall with NYC. They did have some downtime with a bunch of the shows after NYC. I, I at least that's what I'm told. But then they really kicked it up a notch. They came back yesterday, not yesterday, but Saturday night. I don't know. I just think it was better booked too. It wasn't such an emphasis on matches. He got more into angles. They did stuff to get Delirious over a lot more and more characters. Bringing in Larry Sweeney, obviously, is brilliant. Uh, the whole CZW angle was really good. Jimmy and Lacey and Cole Cabana had a decent thing going. They elevated guys like Sidal and Delirious. Roderick Strong now has the FIP belt. And maybe they'll do something better with him. And instead of just like having him, hey, I'm the FIP champ, I wrestle people. You know, I, I would like to see them give him more of a character. You know, you never know what they could do with him. I'd like to see when Evans comes back in 2007, Rocky Romero's coming back, maybe they'll give him more of a character. I think it's only going to get better, because I'm not one of these people that loves, lives and dies on every show based on Brian Danielson either. So, you know, he's great, but I'm not going to miss him as much as some people are. Well, uh, I love Danielson probably a lot more than uh, Rob does. And I felt like the, the, the good thing about this year is that they had all that stuff that, that Rob mentioned with all, you know, all the great angles, the CGW thing, obviously. But they also kind of kept that, that core base happy with like kind of an alternative path with Danielson and Kenta and all those guys just having the mm-hmm. just having the great, you know, like athletic wrestling matches. And I think like I think if they keep that balance, I think I think it'll be really great because like like that angle, like the CCW angle, really helped a lot. But I don't think they can they should really be looking at losing the uh, the thing that kind of separates them, which is that you can generally count on them for the great main event where you're not going to get fucked in the in the end. Um, excuse me, but. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought that that was another thing about 2006. Like Danielson's title reign, like say what you will, even if it's not your taste, like it was remarkable what he did. Just he did made really himself good. into this this overwhelming figure, like as opposed to just this great in-ring wrestler who was kind of bland. Like this, yeah, he had this is his year. Yeah, him and Nigel and him and Kansa were just incredible. Uh, him and Roderick Strong had some good ones. Him and Delirious had some really good ones. Uh, something we didn't mention, but needs to be. Ring of Honor's tag team scene in 2006 compared to 2005 just is no comparison. They were so much more in sync with tag team matches in 2006. So they got real good with that too. So well, the Briscoes coming back and just being like just being so monsters, so much better yeah. than they have been, and having more personality, having more snap to their moves, like just being crisper. Like that that was something that they really looked out on. Yep, agree. Uh, going back to Danielson for a second, I, I wanted to throw out his match with uh, Jimmy Rave at uh, I think the fourth anniversary show. Maybe like a real sleeper match, because Jimmy Rave going thirty minutes uh, doesn't really set my heart on fire. But um, I was re- like really enthralled by this match, and I think that really speaks volumes. Yeah, that, that was really that... do. I'm sorry. I think that was a match that was uh, better on DVD than it was live. So I thought, you know, live, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was a really good match, but, like, I don't know, it wasn't anything that I really remembered. Then I watched it back on DVD, and I was like, wow, holy crap, this match is awesome. And I thought that was probably, you know, after the Roderick match, that was probably um, Danielson's next really great title defense. And then from there, he was just on fire. Mm. That show was really decent itself, just because you had a really good uh, world title singles match. The main event with Sidal and AJ was really good in the tag title match. And then you had, uh, when Hero came out saying happy birthday and told all the uh, the ROH fans to F off, and then Joe ran out and pulled him by the hair. Like, that was really great. I mean, that was some heated stuff that pretty much kick-started the uh, CZW versus ROH thing. Yeah, you know, I was thinking a lot earlier, you know, because no one had, was doing the show about the uh, about the whole CCW ROH feud, and I think it's really interesting that um, after uh, the October '05 show in Philadelphia, where uh, with Kobashi, uh, Gabe decided, and it was, this was reported in the Observer in a lot of places, that they were going to kind of um, pull it back in Philadelphia because they figured the uh, the market was burnt out. You know, a lot of the crowds there were lower than you'd hope they would be. A lot of them were quieter than you'd hope they would be. And he actually, after the, the October, I think it was October 2nd, 05, he didn't have another show scheduled in Philly until April of 06. So that's like, mm-hmm. that's more than six months. And um, the, the actual, the show in January, the first show of the year, was supposed to be, I believe, in Boston. And it was canceled because of, um, I don't know if it was slow ticket sales or another building change or something like that. But he switched it to Philadelphia, and then he just, you know, Danielson was doing that open contract gimmick, and he figured, I guess, Hero would pop a decent attendance figure. And, like, just it's just funny to think about how, like, all the different things like that work out and surprise you and then just lead to this unbelievable year. 
Yeah, them working with CZW had a major impact. I actually read somewhere that if CZW angle didn't happen, they were going to do something where they were going to have outsiders, you know, and they are going to have Jim Cornette lead a gang of Adam Pierce, Nigel McGinnis, who at that time was not the Nigel we know now, and BJ right. Whitmer is like a faction. I might have turned off ROH this year had they done something like that, because that just sounds positively horrendous. Like, I don't even want to think about that. So I'm really glad the CCW thing panned out. Right. And you got to give them credit not only for like you know for you know booking it you know and blowing it off at the right time and all that stuff, but actually you know being able to being you know being smart enough to run with something that they're handed because you know you look at a lot of wrestling companies throughout the year and throughout the years including especially and especially uh, WWF uh, you know with uh, Flair coming in without you know as the NWA World Champion Ben Walker mm-hmm. in as WCW Champion you know the entire company and history and rosters of ECW and WCW falling in their lap. And you know, pretty much burying them, and then also same thing with uh, N.W. You know, Jim Crockett and uh, and Bill Watts in uh, in '87, and then you know, R.O.H. goes and like one of their first big angles is to uh, go into the you know into C.C.W.'s home home base, and just getting destroyed by even just like the yep. mid card guys and getting chased away with. Uh, the se- yeah, the second I saw Joe running terrified from wife beaters, weed whacker, I knew they were going in the right direction just because. All my, a lot of my friends go to all the CZW shows, and they just love CZW. And they saw their guys winning. They were excited to get the ROH tapes just to see Joe running away. They were excited to go to ROH to see CZW win. And then when CZW did win in April, and they all left high-fiving each other, I kind of knew then they had the right thing going, too. So, No, yeah, and... Um... Yeah, I mean, like it was—it's amazing, like night and day, going to a 2005 show in Philadelphia, and then going to, and then even the November show, and then going to the uh, April and July shows in Philadelphia, and it's like they were like two different, completely two different um, cities, really. I mean, just the the heat was just off the chart for those two big uh, ROH for CZW shows, and like I don't, I don't know, like it seems like they can't duplicate that with anything else. Yep. All right, uh, tough question time. What was the best ROH match of the year? I'll let Rob start. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Uh, okay. See, I liked Cage of Death a lot. And I probably will say Cage of Death, even though I think my favorite most enjoyable... Like, Cage of Death is probably it. Okay. I like Nigel and Amdrag. I liked Kenta and American Dragon. And I loved the Dragon Gate 6-man, too. But, uh, no, I'm just going to say Cage of Death. And I loved Hero Claudio versus Briscoes, but that was probably just more of a me marking out like a madman type thing, whereas Cage of Death, I just think it was a better story all around, and it was a, just an intense atmosphere live. And if that was the match, I was that would be the match I would give to show people, like, dude, check Ring of Honor out. And CZW, I guess, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, Cage of Death is the, uh, is the best book match I've seen from any company in, you know, maybe in, like, years. I don't know. Like that was it was just perfect. But my uh, my favorite match of the year uh, was uh, Danielson versus Kenta from New York in uh, in September. Uh, that was just I don't know. I just I just love that um, that epic you know one on one world title thing. And it had like you know several storylines going through it. And Danielson's performance with the injured shoulder, and then that finishing sequence with the you know the reapplying the catamutilation. And that time I don't think anyone can argue that it was overkill because it. Oh, that was awesome because when he floated over for the pin. Oh, Everyone thought Kanta won. Like right. when he kicked out, when he floated over cattle mutilation, jeez. Yeah, and, and and just and, and the match was just like everything they did looked perfect. Everything got over like exactly as it should. That was that's probably the best match I've ever seen live, honestly. And I saw Joe versus Kobashi, and I, I liked uh, I liked Kanta versus Danielson more. Yeah, I'm probably gonna go with the same. Uh, my top three would have been the Dragon Gate Six Man. From um, the WrestleMania weekend, then uh, Dragon McGinnis from uh, England, and then probably Kenta Dragon. That is my number one from uh, Manhattan. Yeah, uh, I, I think the uh, I really had a hard time picking one and two. I just remember the visual of of Nigel slamming his head into the pole, yeah. coming up bleeding. The guy in the crowd looks at him, and goes Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then it gets back in the ring, and Dragon's begging off, and the crowd just goes ape shit. But I just think uh, uh, the uh, Kenta match was a bit better, and uh, it 
played off of uh, months and months of storylines. Go to sleep, a, yep. Yeah, and the, just a bigger match for the company. Yep. And, I mean, the Dragon Gate match, I love that match. I could watch that match every day, but it, it was kind of <laughs> just kind of dropped in. Like, you know, it, it didn't, you know, it was just like, oh, here's a great match. And it yeah, was, it had no real build, you're right. Yeah. yeah I'm, but, kind of um, like a, I'm kind of like a sucker for context, like that match. Like, that match was a lot of fun to watch, but it just, it, like, it didn't, like, like I just, I just like, for something to be, like, my match of the year, especially when it's facing so much competition, it needs a little bit more of, like, a feeling of importance and ramifications and what have you, you know. Cage of Death would probably be top five for me, although I thought it kind of dragged at points. Yeah, I The booking agree was that. amazing, but at, at some point, I'm kind of like, especially watching it a second time, I was like, hmm, you know. Just actually, some of the actually April was really good, too. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. from a pure entertainment standpoint, I kind of like the uh, the six the six man match from April. Yeah, that's definitely it. arguable, I agree. Yeah. And a ton of other great matches, tag matches, I guess, the, the Briscoes. Aries and Strong match. Oh, yeah, I forgot that one. That was awesome. That was the match that, unlike this weekend's match, people will nitpick this weekend's match for potentially, you know, good reasons, I guess. But the match with uh, Aries and Strong was just awesome. That was more of a classically laid out tag team match. And by the end, you know, people were just going insane. I've heard people nitpick all the false finishes in that one, too, but, you know, like, whatever. Like, if that, you know... You know, like, the, like that match is awesome. I don't know. Like that—that's my favorite tag team match of the year. Yeah, that was good stuff. I haven't seen that on DVD, but the Aries and Strong against Kenta and Davy Richards match from uh, the uh, Return to the the Boston Market—I thought that was up there. I haven't seen it on DVD. I yeah, was just coming off the live experience, but I actually—I actually, I actually that did watch there. that. I actually did watch that on DVD, like right after um, I got back on uh, on Saturday night, because uh, oh. that was the match I'd heard the most buzz about out of all the ones coming out. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I thought I thought it was really great. I didn't I didn't like it as much as the uh, the Briscoes or Zaries and Strong, but uh, other than that, it was the best tag team, probably the best two on two tag team match I've had on DVD this year. Oh, here's a good question. You said when you got back Saturday night, what time? How far a drive is it to you? I had to get on the subway, right? And this freaking subway, and granted it's Christmas, I understand these things. It took like an hour and forty five minutes to get from like NYC to Trenton. Then we drove back to King of Prussia. Then I had to drive from King of Prussia back to Shemokin, Pennsylvania. And I swear to God, it was like 5 in the morning when I got home. It freaking yeah, sucked. Yeah, that really sucks. But um, I, uh, I'm, I'm in Staten Island, so I'm a lot closer. But uh, Oh, my God, that's awesome. That's yeah, no drive at all. Yeah, I, I usually, um, I usually um, drive to the uh, NYC shows, even though like normally when I go into the city, I, uh, I take the ferry because... Uh, just because the ferry runs only like once, you know, you know, on the hour, once mm-hmm. an hour at that time of night. So especially on the weekend, so I figured it would just be easier to drive. So I got home pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, it's a you know, it's a shitty place to live, Staten Island. But it's a uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good lo- it's a good it's a good location for seeing Ring of Honor because I got the uh, you know right you know right in the city is all the big are all the big New Yorker shows. Edison is like a half hour away from me. Um, the Philly, the place in Philly where they run is less than an hour and a half. It's usually like an hour, hour and ten minutes away from me. And then I can also go to the Long Island shows. That's usually only ninety minutes. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, that's the spot, that man. Yeah, sounds good. Damn. All right, what about the best show of the year overall? Uh, I'd go with this one. Yeah, yeah. I would, yeah. I would say the two New York, or the two Manhattan Center shows. Rather, uh, those are the. Uh, you know, the, like you know, depending on your taste, it's one or the other. Um, and the other one would be, uh, the other ones would be um, uh, Death of Four Dishonor Four with the Cage of Death from July. Yeah, yeah, that and Unified, I'd say, were like. Mm. And I was gonna say, I was gonna say um, April first, uh, Chicago, with. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good pick. That one too. Yeah, th- those are definitely, I would say, the top five. But I would, but if I had to pick, and you know, obviously I'm biased because I was there live, but both of the Manhattan Center shows were. Unbelievable! Those are, in my opinion, the two best shows they've ever done. I will give a thumbs up to the uh, Glory by Honor Night too, because I I usually watch wrestling. I don't I don't sit down and watch a whole DVD. I usually watch it piecemeal. I have a short attention span, but I pretty much watched that show straight through in one sitting. Uh, that speaks volumes about how good a show that was. Yeah, I did that when Unified too. I don't know why, yeah. but Unified just went to fly. That flew by too, so I I, I get props on that one. All right. Do we have any other uh, well, we could Ring of Honor thoughts for uh, 2006? Well, we could. Not really, dude. Our... My voice is torched. <laughs> All right. All right. So, well, uh... I was going to talk about Yokozuna, but maybe we'll save that for like the next 
the next time for sure. Yeah, we'll see you that next time. Yeah, and, I, and I also listened to your uh, to your last show, and you promised a Roddy Piper impression, but we'll uh, we'll let you. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll let it slide. Yeah, we can't do impressions. Uh, I don't know unless there's like some wrestler that has a real scratchy voice. I could probably yeah. pull him off, but no, we'll we'll probably wait till next time. Yeah. And yeah, lots of Yokozuna it. talk. I got an eight-hour Yokozuna comp, and it is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is ridiculous, dude. And I am ridiculous for getting it. A lot of squash matches, Yoko against Earthquake and Typhoon, like the fat people matches all over this thing. And even better, rapping Randy Savage and Men on a Mission against, like, Yokozuna. No, this, is like, this isn't even Yokozuna. My friend just knew I liked crappy stuff, so he put, like, <laughs> rapping Randy Savage... <laughs> And men on a mission performing a SummerSlam rap. So it's it's just a beautiful thing, and I'll go into detail next time, I'm sure. Oh, I cannot wait. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right, good All talking right. to you guys. Yeah. All right, uh, I will just do a quick wrap-up here. I uh, thank everyone for listening. Please visit JoeVersusWorld.com or TheCubsFan.com for a full archive of shows, including all of uh, Matt and Rob's prior appearances, and there are plenty of them. I guess that's it. Uh, any plugs, Rob? DeathValleyDriver.com? No, not even. The board's oh, okay. kind of right, slow. <laughs> the board's kind of slow these days. If you want to post, go ahead. Just don't post nothing stupid. That's all. <laughs> any final words from anyone? Um, yep. No, just uh, have a happy new year, everyone. A ha- that's right. Have a happy new year. There I should go. hopefully squeeze in one more show before uh, 2007, but uh, if not, I'll talk to you in 2007. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.